So as you said, do you want to start from like a personal introduction level, then get into the yeah. more professional, or do you want to start professional How, and break it down personal? No, I think the first one was great. So I, I feel like we should start with you maybe introducing yourself. Also, perhaps welcome Ooh. to this session, the beginning of our summer interview sessions yeah. on the CWC. This the is kind of, so organized, I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I should have given him the beer. <laughs> this is the Continental Writing Club. We are three ladies who write uh, every two weeks 500 words or more about short fiction, and we give each other prompts, and we encourage you to write along. But, uh, slow down. Yeah. Okay, but this is not happening this week. Instead, we're going to interview uh, people who are great at writing, uh, including Karen Palmer, and we're going to ask them questions about the writing process, and uh, we'll be doing this all summer, so we'll have a lot of different people. We told you this was coming. Do you, do you maybe want to introduce yourself as well? Oh, shit, no. Oh, I know. All right, I'm Brenna. I'm Amy. And I'm Reagan. Okay, you too. Oh, we have to introduce ourselves? So they can associate your voice. All right. I'm Karen Palmer, and I happen to be Amy's mom. (laughs) (laughs) I also made her drink, so. I'm Vincent Scarelli. I'm proud to be Amy's dad. Oh, you took it to the proud level. (laughs) Shucks. One shuck. And so we're going to ask a lot of questions um, about writing, but first, why don't we have you introduce yourself and and sort of describe your work if you're comfortable with that. Maybe we can ask you questions to bring that out, whatever you're most comfortable with. Okay. Um, All right. I am primarily a fiction writer. I've published two novels. And and, uh, sort of a handful of short fiction here and there. And I have been working for the last several years on a memoir, which is a really, a really left turn for me as somebody who mostly writes fiction. Mm-hmm. Do you need more? <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. great. Yeah. I'll also you... link to your website when I, when oh, I post okay. this. Yeah. Okay. And you are part of other writing anthologies. And with this memoir, it's a little bit different than the standard memoir. And you have been part of other writing circles. I, right. I think all of this is worth noting. I mean, you're... you're oh, okay, okay, okay. I haven't been interviewed in a long, long time. Well, we're not so, the interviewers, so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I also teach writing. I've taught in mm-hmm. UCLA's uh, Writer's Extension Program, and I teach for a community-based uh, writing outfit in Colorado called Lighthouse Writers, Inc., mm-hmm. which is the largest uh, writing organization in the Denver area, and they, they do wonderful programs. They have lots of instructors, and they, they just wound up their annual Lit Fest, where they bring in writers from all over the country, and they have agents and editors and various, you know, sort of celebrity writers, and they give workshops and talks. And, and she was there. Exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mostly teach for them uh, because I live in Los Angeles, so it's it's I don't teach their regular workshops, but I teach every year at a retreat they do up in Grand Lake, Colorado, which is their summer writers retreat, and it's, in my opinion, the best summer writers retreat in the country. <laughs> so. That's fantastic. I'm going to have such pedantic questions for you. <laughs> I love that you're so engaged. This is one of the reasons we really want to interview is that you you do a lot. You write for yourself. You also edit. You also are involved in teaching. You're really in touch, I think, with the current writing scene and what you know the tri- tri- bleh, trials of trying to get published are and yeah. just ha- the whole environment of it right now. Yeah. It's really exciting. It's a, it's a tough life. I mean, it's not... It's not an easy thing to do. The actual craft of it is very difficult. Yeah. And then that's not even looking at the publishing end of it, which is um, a challenge. <laughs> to put it to nicely. say the least, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. So we didn't coordinate our questions very well. I think we all sent lists and screenshots and um, didn't part them down, didn't consolidate. Do you guys want to just go one for everyone? Sure. Sure. Cool. Um... Why don't you start since you're the daughter? Okay. Uh, What do you find the most distracting when you write? The internet. (laughs) That's fair. What do you you do to to deal with the distractions? Like, what's your process to help you mitigate that? Well, there's, uh, I mean, most writers and maybe even most humans now know about a program called Freedom, 
which is an internet, lock yourself out of the internet program. I need that. And as a matter of fact, I'm so addicted that I set it at night to start at 11 o'clock at night and to lock me out until late the next morning. Wow. So that I can get some work done before I fall into the black hole. Does that apply to your phone though? Because like... Yes, it applies across across platforms. So you... Like that. You know, you can, and you can set it depending on what you want to do. Like if you need to preserve email access because you have clients say oh. that need to get in touch with you, then you can keep email. And I, I'm not addicted to email in the same way I'm addicted to news, for instance, oh. because since the election, all I do is look at news. And in order to get any work done, I have to physically lock myself yeah. up. So. Wow. Can you save certain websites? Mm-hmm. Like, I always listen to music online. I'm always streaming music when I'm at my computer. Well, I have a halfway setting on Freedom that I use it, depending on what I'm working on because sometimes I need access to research, like I need a quick fact. And, yeah. you know, you can put the little notation in there to come. But somehow or other it helps me to have the actual item. So I have a setting on it that I have all my favorite sites are blocked, but everything else is open. Oh. And so I can go in and check what I need to check. What is your writing environment, your preferred writing environment? Well, my preferred writing environment <laughs> is the McDowell colony. <laughs> <laughs> Where is the McDowell? McDowell is an artist retreat uh, that's, uh, you you know, you apply, they a couple of times a year, they have an open application process mm-hmm. and they're not just for writers they're across the arts so they have visual artists mm-hmm. and they have musicians and they have architects and they have all kinds of interesting people and it's on acres and acres in new hampshire in petersboro oh. new hampshire well and you have your own individual cabin sign me up <laughs> in which they bring you your lunch in a picnic basket what? you don't even have to go outside you can just stay and work? It's just it's just really incredible. And so you have all day to work, and then they have a communal dinner. And then after dinner, if you want to, they have presentations. So you can either go to people's studios if there's somebody who's a sculptor. You go to their studio and look at their work. Or if they're working on a libretto, you know, and they play on the piano, or they have readings. So you can kind of cross-pollinate with other artists yes. in the community. That sounds fantastic. Yes. That would be an ideal workspace. That is, that is the ideal workspace, but unfortunately, you know. <laughs> so when you can't be there, what is your home environment like? It's, you know, it's like the, the constant war with the the garbage trucks and the leaf blowers mm. and, you know, this kind of thing. Because, you know, I'm the princess in the pea, which is really unfortunate. You know, it's like it has to has to be quiet. I, I do sometimes go and work in coffee shops mm-hmm. for editing because oh. there's something about that environment. So only for revision though? It just depends. If I can go early enough and it's not crowded, then I'm okay. I have a lot of questions. I don't know where to start. Um, start number one. Okay. Can you describe the writing process for how your writing is influenced? Is it that an idea comes to you first, or a sentence, or a character. What sparks you writing a new piece of work? Well, you know, it depends. Like, different works have different things that set them in motion. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes it's a situation where there is some thing, like there, I wrote a short story that, that has a long, long history where I wanted to write about a little girl who went to a concert at Carnegie Hall with her her youth group, and her life is kind of changed by it. But what made you want to write about a little girl who goes to Carnegie Hall with her youth group? Well, I had studied classical music as a kid, Mm -hmm. and I played the piano, and I was, for years, I struggled with this particular piece of music, which is a Beethoven sonata, the Waldstein sonata, Mm -hmm. which is way too hard for me, and I was (laughs) never able to master it. And I had this idea of this little girl going to Carnegie Hall and hearing a, a young Italian musician, a boy who was also about her age, 13 years old, mm-hmm. doing this concert and playing that particular piece of music because I wanted to describe the effect that that piece of music had on me. Ah. And so that was the, the genesis of that story. And then I gave her you know, a single mom I gave her 
uh, a half-sister who was only a baby that she was supposed to be in charge of so that she can't go to the concert, and a baby that has a different father, so she's resentful. And the story, you know, built off the love of that piece of music and this idea for this little girl. So I always tell the, the history of this story when I'm teaching because it's about how don't ever give up on a piece of work. Mm -hmm. And I wrote an early version of this story, and I shared it with the writing group I was in at the time, and people liked it, and I tried to sell it for a couple of years, and it never went anywhere. And then finally I got some, pub some small journal that said, well, we like this, but we don't like the ending. We think you need to rewrite the ending. So I rewrote the ending. I took, of course, months to do it, and rewrote the ending and sent it back, and then they turned it down. Oh. So I stuck it in a drawer. And I just forgot about it. I thought, okay, it doesn't work. What am I going to do with it? So I stuck it in a drawer, and a year went by, and I woke up one morning, and it was like, oh, I know what's wrong with that story. I know how to fix it. So I did what I needed to do to fix it. I sent it out. It got two offers at the same time where it was published by a very good journal, and it also won a prize for something that I had to turn down because I had simultaneously submitted and then it went on to win a pushcart prize, and then it went on to be anthologized in a, a textbook for college literature students. Mm -hmm. So it was one of these books, I mean, from Genesis to the end product to having lots of people read it. More people have read that story than anything I've ever written. It's on my website, and it still gets downloaded, you know, a wow. hundred times a month because people teach it. So every now and then Amy will be inspired by a dream I've had or something, she's like, hey, can I have it? Can I write yeah. off of that? <laughs> yeah. By the way, you're in the story. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing I is, I didn't even ask you when I wrote a story literally about you. <laughs> I was like, it reminds me a lot of Reagan because I'm literally writing me. it about Reagan. It's surprisingly frequently. <laughs> I've actually written a couple stories about the three of us as friends in like oh, weird mm -hmm. situations. I, the very first story I wrote yeah. uh, involved an alien abduction yeah. attempt. I wrote a song about it. Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we've, I don't know how well if you've ever written anything about about us. No, I guess not. I guess <laughs> I just, I try to stray away from things I know or are familiar You already with, have a lot of shit in your head. I'm not worried about it. There you go. Yeah. yeah. You know, okay. that, that's always an interesting subject, too, is the people that write mostly from autobiography mm -hmm. and people who yeah. like to just make everything up. I make pretty much everything up. But my yeah. contention is it's all the same. <laughs> it is, right? Because you're always influenced by things yeah. that happen around yeah. you and the stories you hear and the people you know and the freaking last movie you saw. It all It's all filtered plays through you. Exactly. exactly. So, and you're the voice, you're the... Yeah. But... There's no escaping. It all influences. Yeah. No escaping it. I agree with that. Your turn. So, how do you go about editing your own work? How do I go about editing? You know, editing is in some ways my favorite part of the thing. It's it's like the, you know, the genesis and the wild creation is very fraught for me. Whereas editing is soothing because I worked as an editor for so many years that I know what needs to be done with a piece of writing. Of course, it's always hard when it's your own. Yeah. You need other eyes on it. Yeah. But basically, I know the kind of filters that the writing has to be run through, what you need to look for. You know, the places where there's too much idling, the places where the dialogue is not really showing you how the people, who the people are. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a lot of things. filler. Yeah. There's a lot of filler in early drafts, so I'm very good at taking out the filler. But kind of finer point things are more... So you don't, like, revise as you go? You, you write it No, I do. Out. Oh, you do? I do. Okay. I consider a first draft something that's been revised about 100 times. <laughs> okay. That's, that's not how I write. I write I, I'll write a paragraph, and I'll go back through, and I'll write another paragraph, and I'll go back through, and I just, I'm constantly cycling. And then, a year later, I'll actually reread it and be like, don't need this, I need, I need to change that. But... I drink, and then I vomit it out, and then I go back, and I'm like, I should clean this up. All of it is valid. Whatever works. <laughs> yeah. Anything that gets it down and anything that lets you see it later. The, the, I, the story of the, the little girl playing at, at going to the Carnegie Hall concert. I mean, the idea that there was an entire year that went by where I really literally did not spend one second thinking about that story. 
and then waking up one morning knowing what was wrong with it. That's awesome. That is so exciting to me. It's like a super that moment where you know what needs to be done. Yeah. Where you're just like, this story, I can go back to it now. It's one of my favorite things. And it was really, it, it, as it turned out, it was very simple to execute in terms of what I needed to do. It's not like I needed to rip the whole thing apart. I did need to look at the ending. It was really interesting huh. because it turned out the journal was right that something was wrong with the ending. They were just wrong about how to fix it. Yeah. So isn't time going by an important part of Yes, that oh, that's where I was headed with that. In in a way, the longer, you know, and and this is a, a very common writerly advice. I'm not having any sort of special insight here. No, you are. But the long, <laughs> the longer between when you've completed it and when you actually look at it to try to fix it, the better. Is it sort of like the difference for like reading out loud versus reading quietly in your head about the thing you've already written? That's that's certainly a part of it. But if you write, like I read it out loud constantly while I'm composing it. Mm. So I lose a little bit of the perspective that that gives me. That's another reason why I have to write at home because if, if Vinny is home, he hears me mumbling in the other room. <laughs> I'm mumbling the sentences because the rhythms are really important mm. to me. So I'm mumbling the same sentence over mm. and over and over again. So Tweaking a syllable here and there. Yeah. yeah. Can, can you talk about Sorry. Oh no, get in here, Vinny, come on. <laughs> Can you talk about uh, integrating your knowledge and love of music, knowledge about and love of music, in with, uh, like you're saying, rhythm, rhythm of the words, oh. and just structure that way? Yeah, I think those are related. That and, and like, writers that have studied music, I think, have, you know, some small advantage in understanding rhythms. Mm-hmm and how how the different parts of the sentence relate but but not necessarily i mean it's mostly a function of how much you read so so do you want most for your works to be read aloud to really capture that rhythm i've never thought of that i've never thought of that okay well i'm gonna read your novel aloud and see if it's different (laughs) than what i read in my head oh i don't know you know i looked at all saints recently and there's some things in it that i don't like anymore you know it's interesting Um, there, there are some things that I did that I like, think now are way too heavy handed and what the preacher, the preacher's, <laughs> the preacher's too heavy handed. Some of the dialect is too heavy handed. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the main characters is a Cajun character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there's sort of modified Cajun dialect in it. And I think some of it works, you know, pretty well, but if it were ever going to be re-released, I would definitely go in and edit it down a bit. And pull that back. Oh. So, so literally, editing is never done. It's never, never done. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Which is why I don't read old work because it just makes me. You'll just want to make it again. <laughs> makes me crazy. That's actually something that I think it, I've heard a lot of um, is being careful when you write accents or things like that to let the reader mm. the reader smart enough to fill it in on their own. Right. You don't need to write it out necessarily. Right. Um, which is something I've only recently started not doing you know not having the accent visibly there or just it's like you do it with syntax Mm -hmm. and you do it with diction with word choice Mm -hmm. so you can imply certain kinds of speaking rather than having to transcribe the ways of speaking so something that you know that is at least common in some parts of cajun culture is as they address you they'll sort of tack on the end of the sentence the word share Mm -hmm. and you know like Oh, why are you wearing that dress share? Which is just dear, you know, uh, sweetheart kind yeah. of thing. And it's 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 authentic. There was nothing wrong with it, but I overused it. And so now I would go in and pull out probably as much as half of them. Because it's like I the Irish so Yeah. I am so. You yes. do so. Yeah. And again you don't you can do it sparingly and the reader will fill that in for themselves in yeah. the future as they read that character's speech mm. so something i used to be terrible about my sister-in-law is great at editing and she she'll she'll point that out she'll be like you know you don't actually all need this because i already read the character that way in my head and this is a bit uh amateur or it feels like like you're trying too hard and don't know the subject as well because you went so heavy with it and i was like Okay. All right. Readers yeah, are smarter than I realized. Right. Right. <laughs> but once you learn that lesson, then you see it everywhere. Yeah. And yeah. then you and then you know it's like you really only need to learn that lesson once. You know, I learned it late <laughs> after the book was already published. <laughs> yeah. 
and, and apparently, you know, it's not like it's really egregious. I mean, it went through, it did have an editor, a really yeah. wonderful editor, and it's a good house, and it had copy editing and all that kind of stuff, and nobody said, take these out. Mm-hmm. It's not like I argued to keep them in. Yeah. But now, I would take them out. So. And that kind of covered a lot of the things I was going to ask about editing tips, editing things you've come to recognize, you know, big ones that are always important to think of. Mm-hmm. before you even try to ship it off to potential publishers. But you cover a lot of that. Oh, the other thing that uh, that is always really useful is like when you think you're done with something, uh, set, this, this sounds so mechanical, but it actually does work. Set a timer and make yourself cut 10% of it. Like do, do a speed edit. At speed edit. Wow. 10%? 10%. 10%. How much is the timer? Well, it depends on what you're editing. You know, if you're editing something that's, you know, like you have to adjust it. I'm not talking about, you do a whole book all at once and cut 10%. That's very good. You cut parts of it. Like I just finished a chapter on on the project I'm working on now. And I went through that section by section. And I would set the timer for 10 minutes for something that was maybe 800 words. Mm -hmm. And make myself cut 10% of it. And, you know, it's not always an improvement. But I would say 80% of the time it's an improvement. Wow. All right. Who's the fashion person? Is it Coco Chanel? She was like, if you if you want to walk out of the house, take off one accessory. Yeah, always always take off. It's like the writer version of that shit. Yeah. I like a lot of accessories. God damn it. <laughs> no, no, it's okay to like them. The other thing, like I do an exercise with students that I have them in a revision class where I have them take a page of their writing and everybody passes it to the left uh-huh. so that the person, you know, you have mm-hmm. someone else's writing. And then I have them circle every single modifier on oh. the page. And then they put the number up in the corner. Oh. <laughs> and then they go through, we go around the class and people read the prose without the modifiers. All of them are gone, and some oh. of them you need in order to make sense of what you're reading. Yeah. But it's a really interesting exercise. They go through, and then the next step is to reconsider the modifiers on a case-by-case basis. Oh, I use so many modifiers. Yeah, I'm so physically many. uncomfortable. And there's an app for that. There's an app on oh, website, and I can't remember who is the author. Who uh, Hemingway? The Hemingway app. You throw Hemingway your app. writing into the Hemingway app. And it takes out all the modifiers? And it, it shows it you highlights, in color. It, it tells oh. you if it's a run-on sentence. Yeah. It tells you if it's too short. If it's it starts like a Fleshman Kincaid on crack. Well, see, the thing about this, though, is you don't have to lose all these things. Yeah. It's like what it does is it makes you consider whether the two adjectives that you have for a particular noun are absolutely necessary. If the noun is strong enough on its own, but you may have other reasons for wanting them in there. Like you want it to make it make the picture clearer, but you may also want it for the music. Mm-hmm. You may want it because the prose requires it. You may want it because it's a piece of dialogue and the person has a flowery way of speaking. Yeah. You know, there are all kinds of reasons why the modifiers are there. It's just that if you're aware of them, if you circle them all and see them, then it gives you some pause about, like, do I really need all of these? Mm. And that actually makes it easier, I would assume, to look at the skeleton of the story. Yes. As opposed to, I got so caught up describing the scene that I love reading through, but is it benefiting anything if this whole paragraph is now just flowers? Right, right. And it also teaches, like, something that pops up in my first drafts a lot that I've learned to edit for is the idea that you are saying, like, describing something, whether it's an actual physical item or it's an emotion, whatever it is you're describing, you've said it in a particular way, and then you have another sentence and another sentence, and at least one of those following sentences is saying essentially the same thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And one of those is more powerful than the other, and it's like you think you are making it stronger by, by amplifying it because you're using different words to amplify it but you're actually undercutting the power of what it is you're trying to say because there's too much of it and the reader can't take it in. Mm. So you wanna look at those three sentences and say, which is the one of those three that really says what I wanna say and then have the courage to get rid of the other one. In regards to editing, this is something that a couple of my friends do that I'm wondering if you're gonna trim out 10% all the time, 
Do you save those in another file in case you want them again? You absolutely can. (laughs) I have. I don't always because sometimes the stuff I take out is really stupid and really (laughs) need to go. That's That's But sometimes it's a turn of phrase that I really like and just doesn't belong there. So yeah. Okay. All right. I have a question for both of you Um, because this is something that I've been wondering about because we started this writing group uh, and then it became a podcast and we hang out all the time and. We have inside jokes and we have a long history together, but you two are partners and <laughs> he reads your work and it's, he, he's there for all of the things that you do in life and you're there for all the things he does in life and you have to have influenced each other. But like, how does that change your writing cycle if he doesn't want to read your work or if he reads your work and he's like, I didn't like this part. <laughs> like, does it actually change your work? Do you, do you modify it? Because this is another part, another facet of yourself that's like, that was weird. Because they've changed some of my stories. Where, like, I changed some of my stories thinking they were, think they were dumb. And they were like, no, you should have kept it the same way. Well, it depends. I mean, there's sometimes he reads something and there's something either... Actually, what it usually boils down to, the thing that makes me mad is he doesn't understand something that I've written. Mm. And my initial, you know... Do you just tell her it's dumb? <laughs> <laughs> my initial reaction is she to get my back up. You know, where I get sort of offended. And it's like, no, you're just a stupid reader. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is oh, you not know I don't mean it. You know I don't mean that. Um, but, you know, uh, when somebody doesn't understand something, they're right. <laughs> so, I don't know. Yeah, you've improved my work, no question. And do you want to... Vastly. Do you want Take your hat off. Maybe what was the first thing that she made you read? Or that you asked to read? I don't know if she made you or you asked, but like, when did that start? Wow, I guess with All Saints. No, Flight. You had Flight. Oh, that's right. You sat at the dining room table and cried at the end of that. Aww. (laughs) Oh, I forgot. (laughs) At this point, was it like you revised it enough that it was like manuscript version? Or it was like a second draft or something? And you were like, pretty. That was pretty far along. I don't make him read stuff that's... That's rough because you know he yeah, has a busy want, life. Also, she wants to save it. She wants yeah. to save my my attention for it. Okay. Uh, Till it gets farther along in the process. You only get yeah. one cold read. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. something that my editor at Soho Press taught me is that if you are giving your work to someone and their opinion is very valuable to you, don't use them before you've done everything you can do yourself, because you only get the one cold read. And that makes sense. You want their opinion on something you know you want to keep, not mm-hmm. something that you already know you're going to trim out and edit later. So well, the, the problem is, is that if you give it to them and they need to read it again, their second read is tainted mm-hmm. by the first read. Mm-hmm. And it's so it's like as readers, like you hold the memory of yeah. the previous version, even if you don't want to. Right. It's still in there. So it colors their response. And they know more about the study. Like the second time, they know how it ends, for instance. Mm-hmm. And so that means something very different to them when they go through it. So they only only have a completely unfiltered response once. If so, when you read when you reread something that you have written, if you're just writing a letter to somebody and then you look at it before you send it, you just read it over again. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it maybe a week later, you see, oh, I dropped a word. Yeah. I, I read through it because I knew what I was saying, and it, it seemed to match. You know. Yeah. So. That's why, that's why you only read it later. Because if I read it first, then I know what she's saying. So the next time, you know what I mean? If something, mm-hmm. something would not strike me as unclear, even though maybe it is unclear, because I know what she's saying. Right. You can mentally so, fill in the gaps. You yeah. know how to reach and, yep. and yeah, give them more leeway than perhaps they deserve it apart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so do you only submit works that he cries at the dining room table for? <laughs> <laughs> the bar is set at <laughs> Vinnie Tears. <laughs> You know, like the essay, the the Virginia Quarterly essay, I don't think you saw an early version of that, did you? I don't recall. You know, since he, he started, since the last few years when he's been working at UCLA, he works really long hours. He has his own creative project, which is this, this very fancy motorcycle <laughs> project. So he has <laughs> workshop time when he comes home. And I feel guilty taking... You know his leisure time to read stuff, so I use it sparingly. That's why I charge a lot of money. For <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that it's too. Fair, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's very good at, pop, at 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 finding logical errors 
Mm. You know, where something is, you know, everybody reads in a different way. Mm -hmm. And he's also not a fiction reader necessarily. So when he reads fiction. So he sees the mechanics of it. Yeah, he sees mechanics and he's like, well. Motorcycle reference. I'm sorry? Motorcycle reference. Yes. (laughs) But also, um, I remember in All Saints, you had somebody running downstairs and he was on the second floor, saw something out in the street. Chancet, that he yeah, saw something yeah, yeah, out in the yeah. street. And it was something like he ran down there and, you know, it, it took him two minutes or something. And then I said, <laughs> just, you know, think running down maybe three flights of stairs, how two minutes, you know? Yeah. Um, you were talking about seeing dust motes floating in the air. As a little light that came through a window. Oh, one of my I cliched images. I wanted to know what what light the window was exposed to. Is it late in the mm. afternoon? Is it yeah. facing south? Is it facing west? Yeah, all that mm. stuff is really useful. But late in the game, it's useful. Mm. Just, yeah. just for to make sure that you're never taken out of your sense of place. You know that things make sense. You know, oh, jarring well, where you're suddenly like questioning. Yeah, like you, you you saw what somebody was reading in the the magazine as they were walking walking down the street reading it, but then before you said you were on the second floor, so you wouldn't. You All know, that logic, things we, like that. We have a thing we act out, in, or I act out in our house, which I read in a novel once, where somebody was lying on a sofa oh, reading a book and fell asleep. And then when they were awakened, suddenly they sat up in the room and the the book. Flew across the room and hit the wall. How? Yeah, exactly. exactly. So periodically, when he comes into a room, I'll go, <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> like trying to get the book, trying to get the book, and it, you know, it goes like this, <laughs> slopes down your yeah. chest, <laughs> it just slides into my lap. Yeah. So how did, how did an editor ever let know. that go by? You know, know. It might have been a zombie, crazy. just like boom. Yeah. So right upright. Uh, that's a different story. <laughs> but there's all kinds of stuff that gets it passed. I mean, you look at a, a lot of published work has big logical gaps in it. Mm. And some of it is just nobody saw it. Some of it is there was nobody to see it. Mm. You know, it just depends. Interesting. Amy? Uh, you're next. Um, what's the best writing advice you ever got? Ooh. Wow. Should we give any questions in advance? <laughs> no. No, that makes no, for a bad no. interview. <laughs> yeah, the moment is I'm going, oh. Mm, I didn't say we would ask you those during the interview, just should we have given them to you? <laughs> maybe, maybe show, don't tell. That always sticks out to me. Yeah, but that's a cliche thing, oh. and that, that's not okay, something sorry. that... That doesn't stick out to me at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, let me run right over you. <laughs> let me smash your dreams. <laughs> Advance, advice I ever got. Advance, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Any advance is the best advance. Yeah. So that's yours really working. You should have another yeah. sit. Jeez. Um, God, I don't, I, I don't know. You know, I didn't go through a writing program. I did. You know, I don't have an MFA. I didn't go to workshops, so I wasn't a product of that world as so many writers are. Yeah. I just wrote on my own and kind of threw it into the pond and see what happens so so I didn't get a lot of advice early on later I don't know I must have read the thing about cutting 10% somewhere I don't think I made that up I think I read that somewhere and it struck me as extremely good good advice always cite your works what? I oh. said, always cite your works. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I know it's terrible. It's terrible. There's a thing in in like writers refer to all the books that have been written about how to write. Mm-hmm. It's writer porn. <laughs> so it's like everybody is looking for the one piece of advice yeah. that will right. that will open the door for you and change what you're doing and make it make it really really good. And it's. You know, it's such a combination of things. I don't think it's ever any one thing. Be authentic to your own voice and don't don't try to be somebody else. Maybe that's a good piece of mm. advice is, uh, you know, you learn by imitating, but you're only, only as good as what your own voice is. Mm. I like that. Yeah. 
So you're never going to stop writing horror, are you, Amy? No. Uh-huh. Please I don't. Will, I will never write something happy. I <laughs> 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 considered crafting prompts that would force her to write something happy, but... It probably wouldn't work. It would backfire fantastically. <laughs> probably. Dark. Dark. The Pomarellis, as we used to always refer to the four of us, are tend toward the dark. I mean, our whole group does. I think it's... I think it's well suited. Yeah. Well suited. Um... Uh, one of my questions that I was really curious about is what it's like to get something published and then what is the process like after it's been accepted? Like okay. that, that magical world of you've had that conversation, you, you got it out there, they said yes. Is How does that process work then? What happens to the work? What actually happens mm-hmm. to the work? You mean technically? What do they do with it? Yeah, like is there are there limitations from that point on? Is there things where they'll send it back to you once they've accepted it just to do a quick couple things that they... like? What is that world like? Well, it de- you know, it, it depends. It depends on what the work is. It depends the publication. Are they on, you know, if it's a magazine and they're on deadline and it has to be, it has to be into them by a certain time. It's like there's not a lot of back and forth if there isn't the time for it. Or if you have a book contract and you have a year and a half in order to complete it and you have sort of consistent back and forth with your editor, it just really depends on the project. You know, I had a lot of stuff that wasn't changed very much. Although my second novel, when the the, the publisher first got it, they turned it down, okay. and they turned it down. But it but it's like my editor editor wasn't like, well, I'm turning this down. Go write something else. He was like, well, I don't know. This doesn't quite work for me. But if you if you work on it, like I think there's something here. It's up to you whether or not you want to put the effort in. So mm-hmm. I spent whatever it was, a year or something, rewriting it, and I gave it to them again, and they turned it down again. Okay? This is what this is what the writing life is like. And then he, he wrote me an editorial letter about why he thought it didn't work, and I had to make a decision, what do I do now? And then I spent four months rewriting it a third time, and he read it over a weekend and called me and said, ah, this is it. Huh. Were you writing other things at the time, too? No. Okay, so it's like focused solely on that one work. Yeah, but I have t- absolutely, absolutely horrific, at that point, four months, yes, but I have horrific work habits. So, you know, I go long periods where I don't write at all. That was not one of them. Years, sometimes, years where I don't write. Wow. Yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah. I can't. <laughs> I've got years you, without you writing. Know, you start having a, a different life. Like, I spent 10 years as an editor for an alternative weekly. And so, like, my writing juice went into figuring out what to do with other people's work. And mm-hmm. it was a weekly, so the turnover was constant. I used to edit the cover articles and most of the inside features. And they were very interesting pieces. You know, some of them were investigative. Some of them were profiles. You know, they were, they were involving. So, so your mind was already occupied with things related to writing. So it wasn't right. like you weren't engaging at all with the topics. So right, and I was sense. still teaching during that period. But, you know, there are lots of people who can do all of it. I mean, not everybody stops writing when they do that. Right. I just did. So. <laughs> Everyone has yeah. a different process. Yeah. Everyone yeah. has different capabilities. Yeah. It's like, we can't all be Stephen King pump out a, a book a year or nine months or however often he publishes. But I never stopped thinking about it. I mean, I can say I literally thought about writing every day. Right just didn't do it so yeah so promising. But sometimes that's important it's letting yeah. it kind percolate of just, yeah yeah well that's putting an optimistic <laughs> spin on it you ladies are so nice <laughs> yeah. we're mainly trying to let ourselves know that it's okay it's i don't okay. think there's anything wrong i mean sometimes you don't have that much to say during that period of time i thought about writing all the time but obviously whatever it is i was thinking about wasn't compelling enough to make me actually do it that's a perfect segue to my next question, actually. Uh, so there are a lot of authors who try to champion certain topics or they try to make certain subcultures uh, more prominent. Mm-hmm. What do you think you're trying to communicate with your work? Does that ever like factor in, I guess? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think 
you, you know, as a writer, you have your obsessions and whether or not they become public obsessions. I mean, some people, as you say, will write about certain things and then become vocal mm-hmm. about about their topic. The thing that I wrote about right from the beginning was always, always, always identity. But I never did anything in terms of talking to people about that until I started working on the memoir. Mm. It's like in the novels, those are important themes in the novels, but I don't know that that's obvious to anybody it's but like me. Jeff Vandermeer and the fucking bears. Yeah. But that's obvious. The bear's obvious. Well, the bear is so very identi- concrete. Yeah, and yeah. so yeah. is identity exactly. in her work, though, yeah. too. Like, you know, it's like I had the novel I wrote about the border. I mean, I had a character who's a border uh, patrolman. And I remember my this editor... Border dogs, by the way. Yeah, yeah. This is, and this is the one that got turned down twice before the editor took it. Really? And, this is the, okay, sorry. Yeah, it was border dogs. So his his... One of his complaints about the book is he said, you know, the border, if you're going to write about a cop, uh, also, I should backtrack, it's a mystery, but I didn't know I'd written a mystery. (laughs) I thought I was writing a psychological novel about a guy who was torn between two cultures, between being Latino, half Latino and half Anglo. And that's what I thought I was writing. I just made him a border patrolman because I wanted him to have a job that was like the worst job that somebody with that particular identity crisis could have. And then because there is murder in it, it's like the publisher's like, oh, this is this goes in our crime fiction. And I had absolutely no idea. <laughs> so. Anyway, I was going somewhere on that story <laughs> that I've lost. The identity being the main focus. Of- oh, right. So he yeah. turned it he turned it down twice and Oh, one of the things he complained about was that that border patrolmen are, are unsympathetic as characters. Mm-hmm. He's like, if you're going to have a cop protagonist, you know, make him somebody more, you know, in an agency where people can, can feel like he's the hero. And I was like, oh, fuck that. No, I didn't <laughs> want it. So, and so I didn't change that, that aspect of it. Not that he actually asked me to change it. He just thought it was problematic. It was a no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty important, though, like the fact that you can write characters without needing the reader to immediately sympathize with them, that they can be more complex, more nuanced. Mm-hmm. And that, again, plays into identity. Right. So that was that was super important to me. And in All Saints, it's like there are there are, again, mixed race characters. It's like I wanted to write initially when I saw that priest walking in front of St. Louis Cathedral, I wanted to write a big civil rights novel. That was initially the goal, and instead it wound up being a novel about three people who crossed paths over a particular weekend in New Orleans, and I did not any get anywhere near <laughs> writing a big civil rights novel, but race is such an important idea all the way through that book because of when it was set. I can't wait to read your memoir. It's really funny. Oh. <laughs> I know a lot of your life story. I'm still really yeah. excited to read the memoir. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's the most overtly thing about identity mm-hmm. because it actually is the topic of the book is what it means to change your identity. I'm also excited for it. Right? <laughs> <Okay. sighs> As we've gotten to hear snippets yeah. over time. We're just like, yeah. Oh, the, 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 uh, I should say that, the, again, this group was absolutely lovely in weighing in on Goodreads. Um, an excerpt from the memoir was uh, was in Best American Essays 2017. And I, when it first came out, I was upset because there were a couple of people that wrote me mean <laughs> reviews on Goodreads. We rallied. So, we rallied. so I was yeah. like, Amy, Amy, get your friends. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm a character in there. You like, are. I, yeah. there, little baby Amy is, is one of the characters. Little that? baby Amy getting the monster at the end of this book read to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But that's an important part of the writing process now is that we have to deal with these different platforms and we have to like rely on people finding us and then rating us. <clears throat> read, read, write, review. <laughs> this is a podcast. <laughs> Just like unashamed plug right now. But like that's part of it. Is And the same thing is that you were talking about earlier with art is like you have to promote yourself. You have to market yourself. And it's a different process and it's a different way of engaging because you're constantly doing it. Whether you're on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. And it's such a fine line between self-promotion and pissing everyone off. Yeah. So being a gracious presence 
and still answering questions and engaging with the audience while holding back enough that they can just have their opinions and mm. you can just let the work be the work like that. Yeah. I, I don't understand how to do it still. As someone who doesn't create visual art, I can say that, you know, obviously I see your process and I see all of your work. A lot of regardless, a lot of swearing. <laughs> regardless of whether or not you post it online, but there, there's been a handful of artists that I've, I've discovered their work through Art on the Vine, the the auction mm-hmm. that your school mm-hmm. was part of. Um, but also things I've seen online that have no real internet presence. And it's like, I want to support you. I want to support your art. Yeah. And if you're not there, yes, it's, it's definitely, like, yeah. how can I, how can I, you know, share what you're doing with the world and give you, you know, more exposure. Exposure. Thank you. Yeah. And, and like, I want to, f- I want to keep track with what you're doing, but uh, I'm sorry. I'm kind of, not very well off. I don't have a lot of money that I can just throw at artists. Yeah. So if I, if you don't have the, the presence online to like show me what you're doing, right? Then I can't, I can't follow your art, and that makes me sad. That makes me sad inside. <laughs> I feel like the online presence is very much a help me help you kind of situation. Yeah, that's an unnecessary or a necessary evil now. I'm really bad at Facebook. <laughs> just saying. I don't promote us enough. Uh, I follow some artists. I mostly follow people who are artists uh, and authors that I love on Twitter under our account, which I'm in charge of. And you guys basically be just like my authors. Um, <laughs> the, my favorites. That's, and the few that we voted on. We did yeah. do that one that afternoon. But yeah, I mean, like, it's the thing, though, too, where, like, you can only connect with people who are actively looking for you or have the right hashtag or you put out enough content that somehow becomes like the newest thing on the feed. trended or something. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of work and it's a very different kind of work than producing content that is uh, a novella or a book or a, a picture. It's gross. I hate that part. <laughs> it's it, And if you're not an extrovert, it's really an extra burden. I am an extrovert, and it is an extrovert. It still sucks. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Again, I don't know how anyone finds anyone. It, it periodically, I'll like I read something that I know is getting absolutely no intention, and you do. You want to just shout to everybody, read this. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. And then it, but it's like shouting, you know, standing on the freeway and shouting as the cars as they drive by. Mm. You know, getting heard is so difficult. Yeah. I I find that. The way that's always worked for me is to just talk to the person next to oh, me, you know, just yeah. sharing it. Hey, guys. Person to person. This is this is really long. You, you really want this much? We're going to edit stuff, but yes, okay. we do want this much. It's your important <laughs> questions. We, we got, I have like eight more. Like, we're, I'm really I have this down. just like one left. Yeah, I, mine were mostly covered so, in conversation. So really? Maybe pick wisely. Right. <laughs> right. Everybody, one more question. Just pick one more wisely. question. <laughs> and then we'll go, Vivi, you're on the spot. You have to ask a question. Decide. Oh. To ask a question. Yeah. It doesn't have to be for her, but it should be. <laughs> After 43 years. <laughs> I don't know where the, I don't know, what was the, what was your inspiration? Sorry, um, it sounds like a cliche. I don't know where this came from. The story with the two people in the hospital, the two points of view, it's a woman and a man. Oh, that. And the nurse. The, oh, I have no that that weird short little flash fiction. Yes, where's that from? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> this is a great note to end on. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry. It's a weird story where it's it's two two young people in an institution, and one of the one of them is blind, and the other one is deaf, oh. and it's about an orderly setting up a rendezvous between these two people. Have you ever lost your sight or hearing? Well, I'm. Blind as a bat, <laughs> as the saying goes. No, no, I, I don't know. I don't know where that came. That was just like a little dream, dreamscape kind of story. Mm. I don't know. And it's really out of the character of most of the stuff I write because it, it almost reads like allegory or something. And it's... Huh. So you do memoirs and fiction and novellas and you teach writing. You did not set yourself up properly in the beginning. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Well, I, you know, again, I think of myself mostly as a fiction writer, and, and I do, I love to teach. I like editing very much, and there was a period, as I said, where I did it professionally, and then I also have done it just in terms of, 
you know, editing people's novels or short stories or something. I love that you've done so much work editing without having gotten an MFA or anything like that, because I love editing. I think it's really fun. I could see just sitting there doing it, but I don't have any degree. You know, I don't think you need that. What you need is to have read a shit ton of stuff. Yeah. You know, it's like, (laughs) yeah, it's like we all have been reading. I'm sure everyone in this room has been reading since they were like four or five years old Mm -hmm. and just endless. I mean, my mother used to take me to the library. We would take out the maximum number of books, which was 10. And she'd let you take out the max. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Every week, you know, and Mm. so just read like a maniac forever. And I didn't start writing seriously till I was in my 30s, so... Oh, there's hope. Awesome. I mean, I always fooled around as, like, kids do. Mm-hmm. You know, I did some writing, but I didn't try to be a writer yeah. until I was in my 30s. Well, that's where I'm at, so this is that's good. Yeah. yeah. This is the beginning. Mm-hmm. This is us trying. <laughs> yeah. This well, is, the arts is always... With the idea. It's that thing that it doesn't matter, like, age. There are very few professions where age doesn't matter that much. You know, if you're a ballet dancer... You can't really decide you're going to be a professional ballet dancer in your 40s. But you can definitely decide you want to be a professional writer in your 40s. Why not? What else are you going to (laughs) do? Is it too late for me to become a jockey? You're way too tall for that. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Unless you find a giant fucking horseman. (laughs) You need a fantasy, fantasy giant, giant horse. Yeah. He's uh, 6'2", so... Yeah. That doesn't probably translate. Give <laughs> me a couple of jockeys. Big horse. Two jockeys stacked on top of each other. Are you two jockeys stacked oh, on top of each other? I is. <laughs> All right. What is your last question, Amy? What is your favorite piece of short fiction? Ooh. Hers or, or just anybody's? Hers. Oh, you mean of my own? No. No. What I oh, like to okay. read. Yeah. Yeah. What I like to read. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My favorite piece of short fiction. And it could just be your favorite piece right now. Because right now. <laughs> it, it probably changes. You know, this is terrible. There's a story that I teach a lot, and right now the title is escaping me. It's a Robert Stone story. Is it the things they carry? No. Oh, that's a great... That's a good... Yeah. That's a fa- I teach that I like also. That. That's a good one. Enough, and yeah. you can teach that story for a hundred years and find something new to say about it every single time. But this Robert Stone story is in the same anthology that that one is in that I te- used to like to teach out of when I taught short story. Mm-hmm. And it's it's about a guy who's a Vietnam vet who has a drinking problem and is having trouble in his marriage and it, it has a snowy setting. Oh my God, I'm doing such a poor job of explaining it. But it's probably <laughs> my favorite. She'll find it. Favorite short story. Like, is it <laughs> helping? Like Yes. Yes. Robert Stone. Yeah, helping. helping. Was uh, yeah. apparently also in the New Yorker. Ah, originally. What's the collection it's in? You've got to read this. And it's different writers introducing their favorite short story, and there's there's like a one page, you know, where the writer will say, "I like this because," mm-hmm. and then you have the have the short story. Mm-hmm. And so I, for several years, I taught out of that book. You know, it, it, I don't read a, a ton of short fiction, but the, the short fiction that's really good, oh my God, does it stay with you. Mm. Like that's Octavia like, Butler? Come on oh. now. Come on now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Speaking of process and stuff, have you seen, like, the, I, I know so many writers online that people post this stuff fairly regularly. There are pages of her journal when she was first being a writer, and she has, like, there's this one page where she's like, you are going to be a bestseller. You are going to be the best writer ever. You know, it's like basically affirmations, but they're so touching and so powerful. It's like she willed herself into being the magnificence that she became. Yeah, that's awesome. But also if she had never had like achieved really great work, she would have still written that in her journal. Oh, just say, say just say, <laughs> just say. <laughs> I'm like, it's really good now that she's famous, but like, just yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. Every schmo on the street writes that in their journal. <laughs> I still have a post-it note that you gave me, Brenna. Oh, yeah. That was. I write about, some affirmations. What about a... writing every day and writing mm-hmm. no matter what, like, to just keep writing. And the... You know, the, 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 the right bit of praise from somebody at the right time is always helpful. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the, the my editor who turned down Border Dogs twice 
one of the times that he turned it down, he wrote me a sentence where he said, you know, even when you're way off, you are still, you know, just such a good writer. He said, I can feel, I feel like I can, it's so vivid, I can read your work in the dark. And I cut that sentence out of his letter. (laughs) Yeah. That's before we put everything online and taped it to the bottom of my computer while I was doing, once again, a revision. That's great, though. So, yeah. You know, it's like if somebody believes, it helps, it's really important to have somebody that believes in you and somebody whose opinion really Mm -hmm. you trust. That can be critical, but also supportive. Yeah, critical is better, actually, Mm -hmm. because you know that they really and truly intend to help you, Mm -hmm. you know, because they do believe in you. And so they're not just, I mean, people have all kinds of reasons for critiquing your work. Mm -hmm. And some of it is kind and some of it isn't. And some, the the brief period of time that I was in a writer's group in Boulder, there was a woman in there who really didn't like me. She was so mean to me. But she occasionally, it's not the woman you need to figure out your story. Not that woman. (laughs) It's a different mean lady. And this woman actually gave me the best criticism out of everyone in the group because she didn't like me and she didn't like my work. So she didn't need to be gentle about it. She wasn't trying to be diplomatic. She was just like, I don't like this. This doesn't work. And I would get very angry and then go home and think about it. Mm -hmm. It's like, hmm. It's easy to get defensive about your work. There's yeah. A, yeah. There's a lot of yourself. There's a lot of time. There's a lot of... Yeah. I think yeah. sometimes those negative... The negative feedback, the negative criticism, or even the constructive criticism, <laughs> I guess, as sometimes it is called, um, like gives that. you the best <laughs> insight because then you can look at it from, like, outside of myself, outside of my friend group, what would someone think of it? And yeah. is it okay? Can I leave it this way with it still being negative? Is it okay that it's negative? Yeah. Or is there something I could actually change? I, I always liked when people gave me harsh feedback because I would be like, oh, this stings, but I totally see it. Yes, yeah. well, that's the key is that, like, does the criticism resonate on some mm. level? Like, does it ring a bell for yeah. you? Yeah. And again, that often people will point to something that's wrong and sometimes even something that's seriously wrong and then they want to lecture you about how to fix it and they're really wrong about how to fix it. But they are right that something isn't working. Mm. To be able to listen for those cues. Yeah. Not necessarily being overwhelmed by the feedback. Yeah, and don't let yourself automatically take someone else's fix. That's the thing that requires thought. Yeah, do what I want. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Is that your your famous phrase? That's her famous phrase. phrase, I do what I want. It resonates. (laughs) So... (laughs) Well, I mean, there's freedom in that, too. It's like yeah. it is your work. You do what you want. You also pay the consequences for doing exactly. what you want. Yes, you're never being published. Exactly. I know. <laughs> <laughs> What's yours, Reagan? I didn't really have a last question. You didn't? I thought you had other questions. Don't, don't, no, don't make her ask a question if she's done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't get to get out of it. I might be able to think of something. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go first, and then you think of something. Okay. If you want. Oh, God. If I want, I do. I know you do. Uh, I do have a last question for you, um, and it's really pedantic because I told you I was going to do that. Um, who is your favorite classic author to read? Because I feel like the people we read influence our writing and our concept of the world, and you know, the, the, who's yours? Classic. Well, you know, I, I contemporary is too easy. Don't no, you fuck contemporary. With me. No, I'm not going to do a contemporary person. I mean, every time I read Middlemarch, I just die at how good it is good it's just like it's such a brilliant novel and the insight into human nature in it is just you don't find it austere in any way yes of course it's austere (laughs) yeah yeah it's lovely though and people end up with the wrong people Mm -hmm. yeah you know in in so many ways it's not a happy book literally not (laughs) (laughs) so many ways (laughs) you know I first read it when I was young and then many years later when I was going through a dry writing period I read it again and I'm not going to pronounce the name right, but the character that Dorothy is married to, Kasabin, and he's, you know, he's working on his endless project, and he's mostly just preparing and writing notebooks and filing notebooks, and it's all a mess. She keeps wanting to help him with his great work, and he won't let her do it because there is no great work. He's just preparing endlessly. And I thought, oh, 
Kasabin or however you say it. Same one. Oh, I can relate. Oh, poor guy. Where he's always <laughs> he's such a horrible character. And instead I felt like, oh I get it. I get it. I get it. He's a tragic figure. <laughs> so you feel that tragedy. Cool. I see the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Like anyway. Mother like daughter. Gotcha. And just the prose in it is yeah. impeccable. Impeccable. Beautiful so. language. I'm a sucker for impeccable prose. I do love me some prose. And I, I just thought of the last question. Oh, oh yeah. told you. Would be, um, how do you think, uh, I guess, prompt writing could be benefited or could benefit someone else, rather? The idea of taking prompts, not writing seriously, not re- working on a project, but doing, I guess, more like what we're doing, where it's just getting writing at all. You know, I, I, I tell you, I, I think I think prompts and writing with no ego or no end product in mind is unbelievably valuable. And I actually have a theory that you can write a whole novel that way. You hear that, listeners? <laughs> I Follow think, along. <laughs> I think you could... The, the, what I have heard of the work that you guys produce in here, I think even... You could take the set of characters that I've heard that you've written about and give yourself endless prompts for, you know, six months, eight months, a year. And don't try to make something out of it. Just do your prompts. And then at the end of the year, take a look at what you have. That's literally what we're doing. And see if there's a novel in there. But do you write about the same people over and over? No. No. Write about the same people over and over. Well, fuck. Maybe that's what we'll do for book two. Yeah. Two, we're, we're literally at the end Chapter of the year, one. and we, we're challenging ourselves as a writing group yeah. to just write more and, and practice writing on different prompts to uh, prompt our creative process. And we said that at the end of the year, we would all vote on which works we thought the other person had created. Oh. And then say, clean it up, flesh it out, now, do what you need to do, send I, it off to a publisher. As the writer, we have the ability to say no. Because it's whatever one you actually think you can manage to go oh, back right, and edit. Right, 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 right. But the rest of the group could also say, like, this was an amazing work, and I want to know more about it, and I think yeah. you did a great job. And so you looking at this could again. flesh it out if you could, yeah. revise it, send it off to a publisher. Worst case, they say, no, they don't want to publish you. But best case, they do. And they say, we're all required to submit one piece of work mm-hmm. to somebody at oh, the end of this project. And you know what you need to do? I'm, I'm, and I'm dead serious. If you get a piece of work that you think is ready to sit, send out... Don't send it to one place. You need to send it to about 30 places. Nope, just the one. That is that is feedback I've heard, is that if you're going to do it, you send it to everyone. If just you send it to one, it will never get published. That's the goal. Because because, the, because really the odds are so terrible. Mm-hmm. The odds are so terrible. It has to land on the right desk of the right person at the yeah. right moment. And you just, like, everything is so subjective. Works that are considered genius by one person. I mean, I, I R- Richard Bausch thinks that Middlemarch is the most boring, kind of awful novel ever written. Has he read Dickens? <laughs> I mean, I love Dickens, don't get me wrong, but, like, so I can't. Boring. Yeah, can't. so, you know, it's like, there. I don't, there's no right answer to that. Yeah, there's I mean, just gatekeepers. Even Tolkien Not wrong, got rejected just... a couple times, so... You know, Tolkien can get rejected. And you have to, you know what, and also getting lots and lots of rejections is really good for you because you stop caring about them. Yeah, it just like beats Mm -hmm. you down. Because you don't expect anyone to take it. And because you don't expect anyone to take it, when someone does take it, it's like, oh, oh, and it really, it's really worth doing that way. If you do it one at a time, honestly, you will never be published. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah Brenna, Brenna was sticking hard to the one time I was gonna just send it out send it out send it out we could do that we could just try one no, yeah. there's no all of them we'll work on it we've, we've we've still got a ways to go yeah Amy no you know I'm forever trying to get Amy to write stuff I've been trying to get her to write stuff she's so she good was, at this shit she's so magnificent at it and the more I the more I have good things to say about her the less she wants to do it <laughs> <laughs> well that's okay we joined a writing group and now she yeah. has her choice yeah. yeah yeah it's the mom thing you know it's like if your mom tells you you're good at something you go oh <laughs> you know, my, my mom tells me I'm good at things and I'm like great I needed that thank you <laughs> Well, you have a different relationship. <laughs> no, I'm literally just being sarcastic. I'm sorry. She tells me things all the time and I ignore her. Sorry, Mom. Well, nobody believes their mother. Yeah. You're, you're required to look at everything I do through rosy, rosy glasses. 
Yeah, but I also know what I'm looking at. So. Mm. Mm-hmm. Except the compliment. Yeah, so. fine, whatever. <laughs> Thank you, you stubborn. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks Ma. <laughs> Okay. Well, yeah. Right. Thank you so That's much for end. doing this. Yeah. yeah. Really, really appreciate it. Really appreciate that it. That was fun. Yeah. Good. Thank you for having me, as they say on all the big shows. <laughs> <laughs> this is not that. You could have cursed us out. <laughs> Do better, be better. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for the first of our interview sessions. Be sure to stay tuned for future interview sessions. And if you'd like to find more information about Karen Palmer, uh, I will have a link to her website in the description for this episode. Check it out. And the first three writers to ask specifically with a handwritten letter will be mailed a copy of one of her novels. Sure. I'm not giving you the address, though, so that's fine. (laughs) 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 All right. Now. Right on. Thank you. There you go. Can't we all say it? You don't. Okay. Literally, we never all say it. It's only you. Well, she didn't even sing this time. It's different all the time. That's different format. All right. Right Um, on.